Good evening, everyone. Um, back in Bible reading, which is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 14 to 20. You can find it on page 1,211 on some of the Pew Bibles. Or on the screen. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, as he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We've started on this new series last week, The Heartbeat of Our Church, and that's because we want to be clear as a church family that our heart beats in sync with the heartbeat of God, that what God loves and what God desires is what we also love and desire as a church family. And so we're up to the second one, Gospel-Centered Hearts. Let's pray once again and ask God for his help. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will so shape our hearts that it will be gospel-centered that we'll have a deep longing to see more and more saved and come into your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you might encourage us by this word to help us see our part in your mission in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, did you know that you, if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you have in your possession words that can change a person's life forever. In fact, into all eternity. Did you know you had that power? Do you know that you have in your possession the words of God, the promise of the gospel, that as you share it, God uses it and his spirit applies it so that lives are changed forever. It means it's the difference between heaven and hell. Now recently I've been uh, reading a book that's a big book, and it's taken me quite a while to get through it. I've got a picture up there. The Fountain of Public Prosperity. It's a book that speaks about the influence of evangelical Christians uh, during the beginning, the settlement, the establishment, and the building of Australia. The, the Bible Christians, the evangelical Christians. And, and I'm up to this part in, in this book where I'm reading of a guy a naval surgeon by the name of Colin Browning. He served as a surgeon on eight convict transport ships as the surgeon's superintendent. He was serving from 1831 to 1849. And he was a man who believed God. He was a devout Christian. He loved the Lord and he served in his role, believing God, trusting in God's word. He trusted that God's word can change a life. He trusted that the gospel can bring salvation 
and change a man or woman's life for all eternity. And so he was involved in eight of the journeys. And on the seventh one, that left on the 24th of March in 1845. He made sure as the surgeon superintendent that the 20, 220 convicts on board, that they went to school while they were on the ship so that they would learn to read and write so that when they landed in Australia, they were able to read. But in addition to that, he believed the word of God and so he fed them a diet of the Bible, the prayer book. The Anglican, they'll read the prayer book and also sermons that he would preach. 23 days into that journey, eight of the 220 convicts became a Christian. They heard the gospel. Their hearts were convicted and challenged and they submitted their lives to Jesus. Another 12 days after that, it grew to 14 believers. Another 11 days after that, it grew to 27 believers. And by the time they landed on the 7th of July, 156 believers out of the 220 convicts. That's 70% who dedicated themselves to the service of Jesus. And because so many on the ship became Christians, the guards on the ship, they had very little to do. It was an easy job for them. No need to flog anyone, no need to use irons, no need to place anyone in a cell. But what was it about Browning? What did he have that was able to change so many lives? Not just then on the ship, not just when they landed into, in Australia, but into all eternity. Well, he said these words in this book. He said, I find the amount of reformation amongst the convicts strikingly to correspond with the degree of diligence and zeal with which the gospel in its divine simplicity, was brought to bear upon their understandings, consciences, and hearts. What did he have? Well, he had what we have, and that is the word of God, the promise of the gospel, which he shared. And if we think about it, wasn't that how, if we are Christians, if you claim to be a Christian, wasn't that how you became a Christian in the very first place? Because someone took the time to share the gospel with you. It could have been 10 people, 15 people throughout that journey, but someone took the time to share the gospel with you. Wasn't that your experience? Last week I, I did a little survey. I, I, I posted on Swaggy Hills, that little chat group that many of you are on. And I asked a simple question, who shared the gospel with you? And what age were you when you first heard? And what age were you when you believed? And the stats from the few that responded, <laughs> uh, the few anyway, 50%. It was their parents who shared the gospel. Someone had to take the time, 50%, the parents. 30%, it was the church they were involved in, the Sunday school, Sunday school teachers. 20%, it was the friends. 90% of those who responded, they became a Christian by the time they turned 18. You see, it's this gospel in its divine simplicity when it is shared, when it is heard and believed that life is changed for all eternity. And that is why, as a church family, we are to be a church 
with gospel-centered hearts. It needs to be the center of who we are, gospel-centered hearts, a church that longs for and yearns for and prays for the saving of souls. We are here for each other. We are concerned for each other within these four wars, but not only for each other. There are many thousands, in fact millions, outside these wars. And so we are to be a church with gospel-centered hearts. And what that means then is that we are to have a burden that, 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 that is upon our hearts, a burden that is heavy, a burden that weighs because there are so many lost souls around us. That needs to be the heart of a Christian. Because, you see, you will have, just like me, friends, family members, maybe parents, it may be siblings, it may be aunties and uncles, it may be neighbours, who do not know of Jesus and they'll remain hopeless unless they do and unless they believe. I remember after one of the evening service, in fact, last year, I was having a chat with the sister just out the back. We reflected on that Sunday that the joy, the wonder, the glory of heaven, being there with God for all eternity. But what weighed upon her after the sermon was to reflect upon her own family and to see that she's got aunties and uncles and a mother who do not believe. And that was a heavy burden upon her. And so as she was sharing this, I can see it was a genuine burden, but she was in tears. And I thought, that is the right burden to have. That is the right burden to carry as a Christian, to have that burden for the lost. But then the flip side is also true. When the lost are found, it should fill us with enormous, wonderful, glorious joy. And if you've ever experienced anyone, seeing anyone, God using you or those around you, bringing anyone to faith in Jesus Christ, if you've seen that, experienced that, and been involved in that, I'm not sure there are many things in this life that could bring greater joy than that, because that is a soul saved, a dead person coming back to life again. I remember that experience. My first time I felt that way was, was with a friend I went to high school with and also university with. Towards the end of high school, uh, everyone knew I was a Christian, um, and this one friend, not many people were interested, but this one friend, he was a bit interested. He, he would ask me questions. He would be happy to listen. And so I shared um, my beliefs and the Bible with him over several months, just casual conversation, nothing too deep. We went to university together and continued to engage in our friendship develop. And I still remember the one time when he shared with me, I believe now. I believe in Jesus Christ. And it filled my heart with joy because that's one soul saved, brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that one friend I still pray for after 20 years. You see, as a church, we are to have gospel-centered hearts. And in this passage, we are told why. And so let me encourage you, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. We're told why in this passage. Why are we, if we claim to be a Christian, why must we be concerned for the lost? Why are we to have gospel-centered hearts? And we're told in verse 14, it is because we're compelled, we're controlled by the love of Christ. Look at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. That is, 
The love of Christ controls us. It so directs us. It so motivates us and transforms us. It, it sends us out. It sends us forward. And so verse 14, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. How much, how great is the love of Christ? Enough for him to die for us. That is how great. Sometimes I find that it's hard to conceptualize what that love looks like or what should it feel like. How big, how great is that extent? I find this a helpful reflection. Do, do you remember quite a number of years ago, Mel Gibson put out that movie, The Passion of the Christ? Anyone seen that? Some of us have. It, it was quite a gruesome movie, extremely brutal and bloody, the, the floggings, the beatings, the bashing and the punching. Seeing this man nailed to a cross, hoisted up on a cross and hanging there to die. You see, that movie was trying to be as accurate as possible, and it was. You see, the, the crucifixion was brutal, extremely brutal. But where it fell short was at one point, and that was this. You see, in the ancient world, when the Romans crucified men, what they did was that they crucified them naked. No shroud, no cloth to cover their private parts. The man dying on the cross, Jesus Christ, was hanging there for all to see in shame, in humility, being scorned at by the world he made. And you reflect on that. The Lord, the Lord of the universe, he would be willing to do that for you and me. That's the extent of his love. Because it was our sins that placed him there. It's a helpful reminder how great the extent of the love of Christ. And so when you come to understand the love of Jesus like that, it compels us, it controls us. How can it not? And that's what Paul goes on to speak about. You see, it's meant to compel us to live for him. If Jesus died for us, if Jesus died for you and if Jesus died for me, my life is not mine anymore. Your life is not yours anymore. It doesn't belong to you anymore. Jesus purchased it. He purchased it by his blood. He owns you and he owns me. It is not our life anymore. And so we live for him. And that's what we see, verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So how does it look like to live for Christ? He died for us so that our life now, we live it out for him, not for ourselves. What does it look like to live for Christ? Well, we heard last week. It is to follow him carrying the cross. It is to live a life of godliness, of love, of sacrifice, of service. But here we see it is also to proclaim him, to be unashamed of him and to proclaim him. That is to be a part of God's mission in this world, to bring about new life, to bring about transformation, the greatest transformation ever, a new creation, as it is described here. It's just like what Colin Browning did on that convict transport ship. You see, every one of those convicts who became a Christian, it was not just an ordinary matter. 
It wasn't just a change of preference in life. It was a new creation. The new has come. The past is gone. And so when they started their life in Australia, not merely as convicts, but as Christians and as children of the living God, they start new, a new creation. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And you see, it is that ministry that we have all been called to. The ministry of bringing reconciliation between mankind and God himself. To bring peace between God and us. And that is the ministry entrusted to all of us. Not just those who are paid to do it. Not just those who have gone to Bible college. All Christians have been entrusted with that task. To bring life to the dead. Hope to the hopeless. Peace to this world where there is no peace. And so that's what we see. Look at verses 18 to 19 now. All this is from God. Which means all this work of salvation, it is God's idea. God's initiative, God's effort, God's resourcing. It's, it's not our idea. We didn't come up with this plan. All this is from God, verse 18 again, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. To whom has he committed that message? Do you see that? To us. So do you see what this is saying here? It is saying that all of us are engaged in the mission of God. That's why we are to have gospel-centered hearts, to proclaim Christ. That is our mission. Now, recently, if you've been watching the news and if you enjoy American news, which I quite enjoy, you know, the, the election debates and all that, it's quite fascinating. And if you've been listening to a bit of the news, you, you may have heard of President Trump. Oh, you always hear about President Trump. But he's uh, put in a fair bit of effort to try to bring peace between Palestine and Israel. I mean, these two nations, they've been fighting for 70 years. And so trying to bring peace to that region is a good thing, and so he's trying to do a good thing, to reconcile them to. It's extremely important. Whether that eventuates or not, if it does, it's great, but whether it eventuates or not, what we're to see here is that the ministry that we've been entrusted with as Christians is a greater one than even that. The news will talk about it if there's some peace deal. The news will certainly talk about it. But if we're able, through our proclaiming of Christ and the working of God's Spirit, bring someone to faith, bring someone so that that person is reconciled to God, that is a greater reconciliation. Not just peace between men and men or women and women or nation and nation, but between mankind and God. And so you see, we've been entrusted with a far greater responsibility. And so we're to have gospel-centered hearts. Live for Christ and to proclaim Christ. And now finally we see that we are to live as ambassadors of Christ. Now we may not realize this as a Christian where we can be seen as maybe a minority and outcast in our society. Who cares about them? Just one of the other faiths and, and opinions and beliefs. 
not the case at all. You see, as Christians, we've been entrusted with an enormous privilege, but also at the same time an enormous responsibility. On the world stage, perhaps one of the most prestigious, most strategic roles, after being the head of state, is to be one of the ambassadors of a nation. If you're an ambassador of a nation, you're treated with the, the respect and the dignity that is expected of the nation you represent. It is an esteemed role and position. It's a great thing to be an ambassador. But here we see we've been given that privilege and responsibility as an ambassador, not just of a nation, but to be an ambassador of God himself. Little ones, teenagers, adults, older people, ambassadors of God. That is the badge we wear. We represent God. And so our final verse, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Now Paul perhaps was speaking about him and his apostle friends. But because it is the task given to all Christians, we likewise join, into, join in that task and bear that badge. And so verse 20 again. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is the ministry. And so today after our service, as you head home, tomorrow as you go to work or to uni or study or as you sit at the restaurant, as you go to Woolies, as you fill up petrol, as you go to the gym, as you go for a swim, do you know what you go as? Do you know how you walk around? You go around, walk around as an ambassador of Jesus Christ because you've been entrusted with that message of reconciliation, the gospel promise that can change a life. And so did you know that before our time this evening? Did you know that you have in your possession words that are extremely powerful, when God uses those words in the hearts of people, it changes lives. You see, the love of Christ we see here compels us to live for him, to proclaim Christ, and to live as an ambassador of Christ. It is why, as a church, we are to have gospel-centered hearts. Now, I wonder how that makes you feel. As you reflect on that, it might seem like this task is too big for me. I'm just one person. I wonder how it makes you feel. Does it make you feel daunted? Does it make you feel inadequate for the task? Or are you indifferent to the task? Now some of us here might hear this and we just feel a bit daunted by it all. I can have a gospel-centered heart, but I like to keep it a bit private. Because you see, when I make it public, it can be uncomfortable and it can also be risky if I speak about Jesus Christ. I might risk my friendship if I speak of him. He's the only hope you have. I might be seen at work as that Bible person and no one likes a Bible person. Or what might happen to me will be what happened to Margaret Court. I don't want to be like her, how the media treated her, how the world has treated her for standing up for her convictions. I don't want to be hated like her, so I'm going to keep her private because 
I feel so daunted by this. Now, if that is how you are feeling, it makes a lot of sense. But what do we do? We remember the first verse tonight. We remember the love of Christ for us. The love of Christ compels us as you reflect on the cross again, at the foot of the cross, our Lord and Saviour, on the cross, naked, for the world to see, out of love for us. How can I not be a little uncomfortable for him? How can I still think about myself? Now that sister I shared uh, with you earlier, the one I spoke with last year, who felt that that burden, that deep burden, that so many of her family members do not, do not yet know Jesus. She was aware that for any one of those family members to come to believe in Jesus, to have eternal life, someone has to go and speak to them. It may be her, it may be someone else, but someone has to share the gospel to them. Someone has to do it. Someone has to be in that uncomfortable position. And if you do feel daunted, I want you to hear this. We as a church are here to help and where to help each other. And so you heard earlier in the announcements, a lot of these events we put on, it's not just for the sake of it because you, you've got you know, lives that are not busy at all, we want to make it more busy. It's not that at all. It is so that we can equip each other for that task. And so you heard about that event, that training event that will be happening next month. This is a shameless plug. Sharing Christ in our story. That is for all of you to come. Now some of us here tonight might not feel that daunted, but we might just feel inadequate for the task. We might be there sitting and reflecting, how can I, just an ordinary human being, be an ambassador of Jesus Christ? I'm inadequate. How can my words at all, I mumble, I fumble over my words, I'm not coherent, how can my words at all bring life to anyone? And why doesn't God just raise up another 10 milligrams to convert the whole world and, and just leave it to people like that? Or why doesn't God raise up a small army of Colin Brownings and do what he did? Why must I be involved? I feel so inadequate. Now, if you feel that way, listen to this. Over the holidays, I, I, I like the holidays. In fact, it feels so long ago already. But over the holidays, I get to reflect a fair bit. And I get to reflect with Yvonne, my wife. And we had that opportunity to reflect. And we would quite often, in fact, just express to each other, knowing that we're away from our church family, we would express to each other, we're so inadequate for the task of being ministers of God's people, of speaking so that people might be safe. We are so grossly inadequate, but yet entrusted with such an enormous task. And sometimes we feel, has God made a mistake in us? And so if you feel inadequate for that task, you are in good company, because I feel that way too. But what must we do? Or how must we think if we are feeling inadequate? How do we proclaim him? Why not leave it to just someone else? Well, it is as though God looked down from heaven upon this world. And God thought, where can I find inadequate, incompetent people to bring 
my message of reconciliation to this world so that they are mere weak vessels, so that the power displayed is mine alone. So where can God go to find inadequate, incompetent people? It doesn't have to look far because it's just people like us, like you and me. Weak vessels, but yet entrusted with the gospel that can give life. And so God says, I'm picking you. I am choosing you. And you'll see my power displayed. And so when we do feel inadequate, that is the right feeling. But we are the very people God uses. And so some of us here might not feel daunted. Perhaps some of us here might not even feel inadequate. But what we must not feel is indifference to this. We cannot look at the cross of Jesus Christ and look at what Jesus did out of love for us and not be affected by it at all. That is not right. We cannot look upon the world around us and even perhaps even in here, friends who are not yet believers, and not grieve, not be burdened by that, not be, un- be affected by that. That would also be not right. You see, to be a part of this church family, we have to focus not just all of us inside these four wars, but everyone outside as well. It's not just us, and we're not here just for us. And if you are part of this church family, I shared this last year, it's not like you're boarding a cruise ship where you board to watch the view and be served by butlers, just keeping the seats warm. That's not what church is about. You're not boarding a cruise ship. Instead, being part of this church family is to be on a lifeboat together. We are working together in the business of saving lives, pulling bodies out of the water so that they might be saved. See, being a part of this church family, we must have gospel-centered hearts. And I want you now just to imagine how God has been using us and how God will continue to use us and what the end result might be. I find it, it's imagining, but there, there is truth in it. Imagining what heaven will be like one day when it will be the great reunion of all the saints in all of history. It will be an exciting time, I imagine, as you hear of stories exchanged, as you hear of people meeting with each other and sharing stories of what happened, how they got there. You can just imagine that. It will be so exciting. Someone coming up to you and saying, you may not remember me. You, You don't even know my name. But you taught me in Sunday school. When I was a child, you taught me the Lord's Prayer and I never forgot that prayer. You were part of that peace that got me here. Or another person coming up. I was in a dark season in life, but you continued to persevere in showing me love, in welcoming me into your family, in inviting me to church, in praying for me. You are peace for why I am here. Or another one coming up. It was, in fact, on campus. I was just walking along. But you stopped me, a weird stranger, and you told me about Jesus. And my life was changed forever. Or another one. You knew that I had a stubborn heart, 
I was so rock solid in my heart, would not change, but you continue to persist in prayer for me for all those years. And that's why I'm here. Or another one who was, in fact, after youth group, and you were my leader then. And you asked me, have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ as your King and your Saviour? It was that question that helped me get here. Or another one, it was, in fact, the beach mission. I wasn't even thinking about God. But you stopped me, and you talked about God, and you placed God on my mind and in my heart. Or another one. It was, in fact, on that convict ship in the 1800s when you read from the prayer book, from the scriptures, you preached your sermon, that's why I'm here. Or another one, finding his mother and father, mum and dad. It was because you continued to read the stories in the Bible as I was growing up, and I never forgot them. You can just imagine how joyful heaven would be as you hear these stories exchange, how everyone got there because of someone here. And that is why we are to be people with gospel-centered hearts, living for Christ, proclaiming him, and living as his ambassadors. That is to be the heartbeat of our church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we are in awe as we reflect on the blessing that you've bestowed upon us, that we are loved to such an extent that Jesus would even go to the cross. And we reflect on the responsibility that you have laid upon us, that we are to bring upon the hearts of the people in this world that they are to be reconciled. And I want, what a great privilege we have that we could even be considered poor ambassadors of Jesus Christ. But we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would equip us for that task. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.